WIW, iRadio 76 proudly presents the 515 Show with your host, John Sarver. Who's at the 515 door today? Well, this was kind of interesting. As you well know, for folks who have been listening to the 515 Show and not the 515 Interview Show, as some people called it back in the day, um... We normally do drag racers or personalities or something, somebody in racing or something. Uh, but this next young man um, impressed us so much when we were over at PRI that we asked him to, uh, we, we saw the stuff that he had, and we we kind of walked away, and, and Sue Martin, the special effects, special dog on it, I do it every single time, the special event co- director now, uh, we walked away and we, we said, man, we got to have this guy on. I mean, this product for us, we've never seen anything like this before. And again, this is a first time that we at CK are, are, are ever going to do this. But it was just so fascinating to us. We just had to have him on. So uh, Brett Cooper from New Ice, New Ice Dry Blasting Equipment. How are you, Brett? Good, John. How are you, sir? Dandy. I hope that you're uh, getting ready for snowageddon. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. It's, uh, it's always a hit-or-miss type thing. The forecaster likes to predict it, but it doesn't always happen. Yeah, for those who don't know, in the Michigan area and in Indiana and all that stuff, this is going to be the snow that if you didn't panic by now, you were not going to see food trucks until April. So hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, everyone's they're forecasting over a foot of snow, and we haven't seen that around here lately. So, um it's good that you're prepared. Gee, I was just thinking, with all the snow outside, can they use it in one of your blasters? <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend staying in any place warm as possible. <laughs> all right. So so let's give the folks a little bit of a background here. Now, Brett, you are in the company. I am the director of manufacturing. Hoorah, which means Brett's got the really nice office. Yes, yeah. that's correct. I spent a lot of time on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the one that's overlooking the lake and the water in your boat? No, just the one that overlooks the shop floor where the machines get assembled. <laughs> now, this is a fascinating thing. And again, it, you know, it was just so unique that we never seen anything like this before. And we thought it's so logical. It makes such good sense. Why hasn't this done before? So... Basically, Brett, explain to the fine friends that are listening all over the world in the 74 countries that CKWI Radio 76 is in, what is it that you guys have there? Uh, what we manufacture is called a dry ice blaster. And what dry ice blasting is, it's the uh, method of taking a high-density CO2 pellet um, it could be different forms. It could be pellet, could be uh, shaved ice, could be fragmented ice. It doesn't really matter. But you're taking a product that is basically a liquid, liquefied CO2 that gets compressed down to the point where it's into a hard, um, hard form, and is pushed through an extrusion, and it comes out with what's considered a rice ice or a block or something along those lines. And what happens is naturally CO2 goes straight from the solid state to the gaseous state through the process called sublimation. There's no water involved. It never hits the liquid state, per se. So what it allows you to do is be able to introduce this dry ice into a high-velocity airstream and make impact upon a surface of some type, at which point the surface does an instantaneous freeze. 
So basically we consider like a ping burr boom effect where it hits, penetrates, instantaneously freezes, and then the pellet will expand or the ice itself, whatever may be shaved ice, it'll expand 700 times its size from the pellet form into the gaseous wow. state, therefore creating a flushing action. So as it penetrates and it hits upon the substrate, it actually lifts whatever contaminant or materials on the surface off of the material underneath. By doing so, there is no secondary waste. It's environmentally friendly because it goes straight to the gaseous state. There's no water involved. There's no chemical involved. It's not abrasive. It's not going to damage the substrate. Um, it's strictly lifting the material off the, uh, that's on it. Um, it's also what's considered a clean-in-place technology. And when I say that, what I'm referring to is the fact that you can go into a manufacturing facility or a garage or whatever you may uh, take it and be able to blast the underside of a car or blast a weld cell or blast printing equipment and never have to take that equipment offline and take it somewhere else to clean it because there's no secondary waste. There's no secondary residue. The only thing left that you clean up is what you cleaned off. I'm thinking that you probably gave that speech more than once already in your lifetime. <laughs> I, I may have done it a few times at PRI. It, it, it's fascinating. For folks who haven't seen it, and here, I'll, I'll pull up the picture here. See this? See what it's doing? Um, it, it's just, you put, in layman's terms, and see how far I get here. You put the, the dry ice, and again, we're not doing super technical here. Put dry ice in this wonderful machine, start up some air, and then it's literally, it's as you've seen media blasting before, it's not. You don't have, and for somebody who's done media blasting, and man, I'm telling you, you have to wear the hazmat suit, and then you're hoping that you don't get all the sand in you or all the, the plastic particles in you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When we saw this thing, you know, that, that used dry ice, you know, a whole bunch of air, and uh, whatever fixtures they use at the other end of the nozzle, you know, to blow off paint and, and blow off ick and blow off whatever. We were just fascinated. I mean, absolutely fascinated because we thought, who didn't develop this thing sooner? Because really, it, it's just like Brett said, it's clean. You don't have to sweep up. You don't have to try to, you know, mask off wherever you're, you know, sand blasting at, media blasting at. You don't have those vacuums going all over the place, and you don't feel icky. I mean, the only thing really, really you have to have in a pinch, Brett, is a good pair of gloves, right? Uh, and hearing protection, because to be honest yes. with you, these uh, hearing protection, face protection, if you want to keep your clothes clean, yes, you would want a PPE suit of some type, because you do get blowback off the equipment you're cleaning. Uh, but most of the times, these machines will put out anywhere from about 60 to 120 decibels. I mean, it sounds like a jet engine because you're moving so much air in such a small nozzle. And that's what you're doing. You're sending CO2 ice or uh, dry ice, CO2 pellet, shade, whatever it may be, through a high-velocity jet stream at basically supersonic speeds to impact the surface of the um, uh, material underneath it. So you do want to take proper PPE precautions as well as, for example, um, uh, confined space requirements uh, by OSHA because of the fact that the CO2 does stay close to the ground. So you want to make sure you have proper ventilation moving through to do it. Otherwise, you could suffer from uh, CO2 asphyxiation just because it dispels wow. so much CO2 as that pellet hits because there's a lot of stored energy within the dry ice itself. Now you, you take that gas and you combine it down to that small of a form and it expands 700 times its size. 
think of the amount of energy that's stored in that pellet for that micro explosion that occurs upon impact, which can also become even more violent if you have a material that's been warmed and then you throw that cold ice at it, it has an even more violent impact when it does so. Yeah, I was going to say, for, for safety's sake, what wouldn't you use this on? Um, generally speaking, uh, I'd, I'd be cautious of using it around uh, fuel areas, possibly. There really isn't, a, from what I can think of, there really is no area where you can't use it. Now, maybe things like circuit boards and things along those, li- along those lines where you don't want to damage them. Yeah. Now, we can turn it down because... As long as you know what you're doing, you can do that because the point is that the dry splicing can be turned down to the point and you can use a fragmented ice, which is like a snow. Um, that There's certain tools you can use to break the ice pellet apart or even shavers of some type. But um, you want to turn it down and we can be as delicate as to clean drywall, for example. They use it to clean mold remediation, fire restoration, so they can clean drywall with it without ever damaging drywall. Or I can turn my pressures up. I can put a high aggressive nozzle on there and go in there and clean weld spatter off of tooling in a robotic weld cell. So it's all across the board um, of what the capabilities are. Now, there are some limitations, just like with everything. I will say that because we equate it to having multiple hammers in a toolbox. You have a ball ping hammer, you have a body hammer, you have a sledge hammer, you have, you know, dead blow hammers, whatever it may be. This is just one more hammer in the toolbox. Similar to you have sponge blasting, you have soda blasting, you have sand blasting, you have bead blasting, you have glass blasting. There's all kinds of media blasting out there, and every one of them has some type of purpose. This is just one more avenue. Well, things along the lines of, for example, for the most part, dry ice, you cannot strip baked on powder coat. It's just too hard to penetrate with the dry ice. But that's not the intention of dry ice. Dry ice is not meant to remove mill scale. That's where media blasting, such as sand and bead blasting, come into play because they are abrasive. They will remove material. We can remove surface rust, but we cannot remove pitted rust. We are not going to remove the material itself. So that's, um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I mean, stepped out of line there a little bit, moved too far away. But, well, that's uh, okay. No, I mean, just make sure that we have the terms set so folks, everybody can understand what, what, uh, where we're at with you. Um, when you said the, the decibel rating was what again? 120 decibels. Up to 120? Up to 120. So, oh. yes, it, it can get as loud as a NASCAR. Yeah, I was going to say, for those, <clears throat> it's any Who concert is 110 decibels, and that's the threshold of pain. So, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. why, for the most part, we recommend uh, either double hearing protection with earplugs as well as earmuffs or something along those lines. If you're doing it for a long period of time, especially. Yeah, I mean, because when we saw this stuff, now, when, when we... Specifically, a lot of the folks in our audience um, do car work, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, so where would this really excel for them? Um, there's a lot of people using it for detailing. Um, detailing. And when I say detailing, they are actually going in and detailing interiors of cars. Wait uh, a minute, wait, wait. The... Interior of cars? Yeah. They're what? actually using it, uh, smaller machines that have uh, fragmentation, they actually use the snow version, turn the pressures down, turn the amount of dry ice they're shooting out of the gun, turn that down, and they can go in and delicately clean in the cracks using dry ice. Or if they want to and they want to clean up engine bays inside or under the hood and such, they can go in there and dry ice blast under the hood. They go underneath the chassis itself and they can clean the undercarriage of the cars using it. All right. So I'm- there's... 
I'm going back but, to this one. They're doing interiors. I mean, are you saying with no quote unquote with no seats and no anything in there, or are you talking doing seats and, and crevices of carpeting and stuff? This is what I've been I've heard from other people as far as I haven't personally done it myself and I haven't sure. witnessed it. Yeah. I've been told by various people that called in wanting more information on machines that um, they are using it to detail the cars. Whether it be maybe the trim on the outside, whether it be the interior of the car, um, there's various companies around that have been doing it for a few years now. That's fascinating, you know, because really you think about it. If it's, if we use the drywall uh, idea a couple of times. If you can take something off a drywall and clean that delicately enough where you don't damage, you know, the gypsum, the, the drywall itself, yeah, we never would have thought if you had an older hot rod and you were detailing it yeah there's some places brushes can get and stuff like that but god bless i never thought about if you could do the interior of that stuff i mean that's brilliant whoever thought of that idea genius because brett what doesn't it do what i mean all right so if you're doing like a dashboard or seats or something crevicey kind of thing i mean that is that doesn't no harsh chemicals on any of that stuff to clean it, and you can permeate through. I'm thinking further than a brush could reach. Well, yes, and that's the point of it is that, and that's where you get into things such as fragmented ice instead of having a uh, three millimeter pellet. If you go with more of a snow type ice, that's more for um, complex geometries and tight crevices and small areas such as such as like injection molds for plastics. That gets right down into those little tiny crevices and cracks because you're, throwing, you're using a snow you're shooting at it versus a three millimeter rice ice pellet, which the rice ice pellet is what our machines use. Um, there's other machines out there that may use a block shaver or something along those lines. Um, but we've settled on the rice ice and it looks like long, long grain wild rice. And that's why it's called rice ice. It's high density blasting rice. Um, <laughs> if you try and use that on, if you think of a small crack area and you're shooting out of the air, that hits, but that pellet may not penetrate deep into that crevice. It's going to hit, explode, and sublimate before it gets down to that point, potentially. So by fragmenting the ice and making smaller pellets out of it, it can get deeper into those minute areas and clean more effectively. That's fascinating. I never, because really some of that stuff, and especially if you're doing, like, say, a 49 or a 52 Plymouth or something, you know, that has real delicate kind of exterior uh, trim that you probably can't get anywhere else. You might be able to get a knockoff. Jeez, why not fire up one of these machines? Yeah, I mean, obviously you have to be skilled at it. You're not just not right. any Bob off the street can do this. But my God, we never would have thought of, you know, the detailing community being, you know, with their antennas up for this, you know, for your machines. That's insane. Oh, there's a there's a lot of potential out there for it. I know there's detailers that are bringing cars in for restoration, and they're using drives blasting to clean the undercarriages. Um, it, we have some videos online at various uh, locations on YouTube, which um, I won't say the names on them, but they uh, you can actually blast and clean off the engine block because um, you don't have to worry about things such as sand getting down inside your valve train and things along those lines. So you can just use dryers to clean up your engine blocking before yes. you go to paint process. Yes, because you were talking about folks doing that on their heads also, mm-hmm. didn't you? And the, the the difference, the reason why you wouldn't want to have media as opposed, let's go backwards, the reason why you want to have your machine as opposed to the media blast is? is because there's no secondary waste. There's no residue left. The only thing you're cleaning 
the only thing that is left over is what you cleaned off. So you're not adding something such as sand into your system or any type of slurry. Now, with that said, this is not a polishing mechanism. This is not like a slurry where you get a nice mirrored finish or something like that. But you're definitely going to be able to go in and clean up any of the external debris and maybe the surface rust that may form on a transmission or something along those lines. Yeah, and you don't get any errant um, sand. Right, you don't have various particles that, um, let's put it this way, you're not introducing something secondary into the system that you would have to remove down the road. Right, you know, which, which is genius. And then that saves you so much more time as opposed to having to not, and we'll, we'll use the term crudely, sandblast something, you know, but then you got to go back and then you have to recoup all that sand and you better hope mm-hmm. to God you're not the um, the tech that missed a particle or two. <laughs> or glass bead or something along those lines, correct. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, when the customer starts his motor, <laughs> how unhappy yep. they would be. Okay. Yes. You know, the, the wild thing, Brett, is that this is, I, I know that we're having folks, and I hope you don't mind if you answer some questions from uh, folks writing in on hotline at ckiw76.com. Paraphrasingly, this is not dry ice that they can go to the 7-Eleven and buy and then put in this machine, right? No, this is not something that you would find at the local 7-Eleven. Um, generally speaking, there are various... Uh, welding supply houses, it's really become more popular within uh, various distributors throughout the continental U.S. here. Um, now, I'm not sure as far as the European market and overseas markets. I do know, I did some research the other day on uh, Indonesia, and um, there are facilities in Indonesia who are doing dry ice blasting. They make dry ice pellet. So it's just about doing Google search, and you can find it virtually anywhere. And I have a company here close to me who there was a shortage of dry ice on the West Coast, they made 55,000 pounds of dry ice and shipped it out to California <laughs> from here in Michigan. <laughs> there is a so, shortage of dry ice on the coast? Well, it, it had some, there was, I'm not sure the whole story behind it, but there was um, a deal with the CO2, because the CO2 is actually a byproduct of another manufacturing process, which I believe is ethanol. Okay. Um, so if the, if the ethanol plant goes down, they're actually piped downstream from the ethanol facility, so they take that clean CO2 from the ethanol process and and move it down line, then they turn into CO2 and make CO2 ice and gas and so on and so forth. So if something happens in some of the industry, sometimes they have a trickle of down effect is what I'm getting at. How nice. I mean, how nice that they had to come all the way to, to Jackson, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, how many, if you were to do an undercarriage of, say, a medium-sized car, how yeah. much ice pellets would that take? Well, generally speaking, it's and this is always the, um, the a question that everybody has. How much ice do I need? I know the ice it's, you need. Sorry, I, what was that? It's a wild question because are you talking a big car, small car, extremely dirty car, a little intricate car, very clean car? Yeah, I realize it's a very shotgunny kind of question, but it's just to give the people kind of a, a reference. Okay. Generally speaking, what you're looking at is... It depends on the clean process, how difficult the clean is, so and how much airflow you're using. So if you have a high rate of pellet feed rate, which basically how much ice is going through your system, how much pressure you're using to get the clean done that you're looking for. Sometimes it may be up to 8 to 10 pounds a minute. Sometimes it may be as delicate as 
half a pound a minute. It just varies. But generally speaking, what we tell most people, for our machines at least, is that if you have a moderate setting of, say, medium, as far as your feed rate goes, at an 80 PSI blast rate, that you will plan on going through, and this is continuously blasting, not letting go of the trigger, anywhere from 500, usually about 500 pounds for a half day, up to 1,000 pounds for an eight-hour period. So it just depends on how long the bottom of that car takes to clean off. Wow. And prices of ice nowadays are fluctuating? They steady? Uh, that's I also that's another question. It depends on the market. Uh, here in <laughs> here in Jackson, we have a very good rate on ice, but we also um, may have more readily accessible CO two supply versus somebody I'd heard from somebody on Long Island. Um, I think it was at PRI where they said they were up to a dollar thirty a pound for ice. Whereas around here, people are paying 50 to 75 cents for ice. It just varies depending on the market. As you know, everything in certain areas is always more expensive than it is in other more rural areas. Yeah. I mean, really, so now somebody is going out there betting on dry ice futures. <laughs> right. <laughs> on the stock market. Brett, who came up with this idea for your company? Uh, actually, this was uh, my father started this company back uh, in, uh, what is it now, 2000, 2010. But the technology has been around since the mid-80s, and actually the original uh, patents for this type of technology, there's documentation that goes back to the U.S. Navy back in the uh, mid-40s. Really? They started started playing with it, yes. And then uh, Lockheed Martin in 74, I believe it was, actually filed the first patent, one of the first known patents for the technology itself. I mean, what did your dad just do? Fall off the um, hammock and go, Eureka, I have this great idea. No, we actually, there's a sister company that he owns that uh, manufactures welding equipment. You can say supplies. it. It's okay. Wire Wizard <laughs> manufactures welding equipment. Okay. And he, um, they uh, are one of the world's largest weld cell peripheral equipment. They manufacture all kinds of various things for robotic weld cells. Well, in the process, we came across the drives blasting. We saw this was a great opportunity to potentially develop a machine to take into the welding industry to clean weld cells and robotic weld booths. Well, they kind of spun off from there, and here we have five different machines now, and you know we're marketing to everybody from rental companies to um, you know mold remediation and restoration companies to the local guy who wants a small machine to be able to detail cars with on the side. So um, that's how it all started for us. But I mean, your dad is—is is he a tinkerer? Is he a guy that's developed he, other things? He's an entrepreneur. He's actually. Um, we're a veteran-owned company. He served uh, two and a half in Vietnam back in the uh, late 60s, and he's always been an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, as a race car driver and everything else, he's always been a tinker and a developer and an inventor, and I want to say he has over, shoot, probably 80 patents worldwide now. So he never stops thinking, and he's 75 now, but uh, he still doesn't retire. He's now um, taking on a position as CEO of uh, one company. He's still president of this one here in New Ice. And now he's also looking at starting new companies because he's not done yet. And that's just how my father is. So he's always developing. He's always creating something new. And we have some new stuff that if uh, um, you don't mind me saying, but if people want to follow our Facebook or Instagram page, we have some new stuff um, as well as LinkedIn. Um, We have new stuff coming out that we're in the process he and I are developing right now together for uh, hopefully released by the end of this year. Oh, wait a minute. We're going to be breaking a story here. All right. New Ice has has some new things. What do you got? Yeah, we're, well, I don't have it all designed yet, but we do have some new things that are going to definitely be more um, 
let's put it this way, PRI opened our eyes to a lot of potential market out there mm-hmm. that were developing some things that would be a perfect fit for those markets. So without getting into too much, um, hopefully we'll have something to debut at PRI next this coming fall. Oh, you can get into as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it little low key because I don't have it all finalized yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So say, would this new thing be bigger than a bread box? <laughs> uh, bigger than a bread box and smaller than a house. Well, there you hear you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> All right, so that's going to come out in PRI, maybe, if you guys get it all together in time? That's, that's what our hope is, yes. We're, we're trying to get everything ready and ready to do a launch. Um, maybe one or two other things. Who knows? Like I said, we are always creating things, and um, that's our goal is to have one ready for PRI. I mean, what kind of house or garage does your dad have? I mean, do you open it up and it's this, like, techno world? Of things, no. of half-made things and ideas he's working on. I mean, when you're sitting in the boat fishing with him, he, is he, does he have a scratch pad? Oh, no. No, no. It's just it's all in his head. Um, and honestly, the garage out behind his house has turned into a, the race shop where we keep uh, a couple sprint cars and a bunch of quarter midgets for kids and things along those lines. Tractors, <laughs> fun stuff like that. It's There's no developing going on there. It's at all the buildings where we do all of our development. How do you know when your dad's thinking about designing something? Does he get quiet? Does he start talking a lot more? Does he you not see truthfully, him for a couple of weeks? <laughs> truthfully, it's when he's awake. <laughs> really? No, he's, it's, his mind's always going, always has. Wow, all right. But then if you have little midgets out back for the kids, and I want midget cars, obviously, you know, how many cars do you have in your garage? Uh, I think currently we have uh, three quarter midgets, which are basically go-kart sized. Um, they look like small USAC midgets, as well as uh, three more coming in, and we have two micro sprint cars. All right. With the wings on top and all that. So what do you have, seven kids? Oh, no. My son races two of them. Uh, one of uh, the Wire Wizard employees' son races two of them, and then my nephew races uh Three other quarter midgets. My son races has graduated from quarter midgets, and he's moved up to the uh, micro sprint now. So and he's using six hundred cc sprint cars. And where does he race at? Uh, here in Jackson, as well as down at um, uh, Northern Indiana, various local tracks down there currently. And then hopefully, when he gets a little more experience, we'll start doing some more traveling, hit some bigger tracks like uh, so throughout the country. How come I haven't heard the word Brent and race cars yet? Uh, I haven't. I, I don't know. To be honest with you, <laughs> I mean that's that's part of the way we ended up at PRI. It's just because of the racing industry we've always been involved in. It. He uh, he owned a chassis company back years ago and made uh, a race car chassis out of Jackson here. And he's run ASA for years. He ran NASCAR a couple races in NASCAR. He raced at Michigan International Speedway I think seven or eight times. So he's in the Michigan Motorsports Hall of Fame. So he's we've been involved in racing for my entire life. So. 40 plus years. I won't go any further than that and give away my age. All right, so you're 46. All right, we missed your dad's <laughs> name, you know. Uh, it's uh, Ed Cooper. Wow, okay. And so you're the son of Ed Cooper, inventor, <laughs> entrepreneur. Oh, man, if he was like that growing up, I mean, especially at the breakfast table, that must have been a trip. You know, if your dad goes, you know, I see this toast over here. I know I can make it better. Well, okay. actually, growing up, he, he was um, an instructor at the uh, Walling College. 
Oh. So he, he was a school teacher first. Wow. But he was always doing stuff on the side and always inventing and always creating. Does she, how cool was that with your mom? Oh, she's fine with it. <laughs> Go out there and get those patents, Ed. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> you know, can we ask you a, a side question? How was yeah. it to do PRI? I mean, if you ever seen PRI, there's always like these... Either there's these big mammoth booths or there's like, you know, a, like a business booth where it's staffed by only a you know, few people as opposed to having like VP had like a hundred people. Lucas Oil had a lot of folks. You know, mm-hmm. how is it, especially you were there for how many days? All three? All three. And did you have a hand in setting up the booth and everything? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, um, I set the booth up myself. And how many hours were you on your feet that weekend? Uh, whatever hours the show was open, basically. And I don't think I hardly ever took a break to even go grab food or anything. I mean, it was you left when you had opportunity to leave, but it was a very good show. I mean, we'll definitely be doing it again. Yeah, I was going to say, how does that work for you? Because there's so many people coming by, you know, and, and there's so many times you ask or are asked the same question again and again and again. You know, I mean, sooner or later, because I don't remember seeing a chair there. You know, <laughs> I was going yeah, to... and it, it gets to the point where um, you're standing there and you're speaking to somebody, and then very quickly somebody follows in right behind them, and they're standing there waiting to talk to you, or ask specific questions. Maybe, maybe they know about the technology already, and you just kind of roll into and then start talking to them about it and answer their specific questions, or you just introduce them to it all over again. Was there a question that somebody asked you that you just were at a grasp to answer? Um, generally speaking, no, but if there's ever a question I can't answer, I always let them know that I will research and get back to them on it. So I'm not bit, we're not the type of company where we're going to you know blow a lot of smoke and sunshine. We just uh, give the straight facts, and I just talked to a gentleman here right before I talked to you who wanted to do some dry splice and certain application, and as I talked to him, it just we learned that it just was not the right fit, and I wasn't going to push him to buy a machine knowing that he was not going to be happy in the long run. So um, sometimes we get calls where they have great ideas and it's going to work out great for them. And other times we get calls that it's just not a good fit for what they're trying to do. You know, so therefore that they just move on and we're perfectly fine with that. I'd rather have, I'd rather have happy customers come back and recommend it versus throwing something or forcing something upon them that they find out later. You gave me the wrong thing. I don't need it. I don't want it anymore. And then you get, you know, a bad reputation in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just fascinated by somebody that would call you up and said, hey, let me bounce this off of you and see if you think this would work for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's pretty fascinating that you that you would say, uh, well, maybe not. You know, here's another way that you could probably tackle it. But, uh, you know, thanks for calling. As opposed to like, yeah, go ahead, try it. You know, right. buy the machine, and if it doesn't work, well, I'm sure that you can do something with it. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's... There's, there's times that I, re- I will recommend them to go rent a unit initially and do a test run on it and see if it's going to do what they're looking for it to do. See if it'll work. See if it's going to be cost-effective for you. If so, you know where to find me. And ultimately, in the long run, um, they come back. You know, if it works out, they will come back. But I can guarantee if you saw them something that they don't need or can't use, they're definitely not coming back again. Yeah. I mean, was there anything that somebody called you up and said, hey, I'm thinking about using your machine to do this, and you just went, 
that is so out of the box, it's unreal, but it would work. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't know. It's one of those things where okay. sometimes they call up and they've got they've got an idea, and I can't guarantee it'll work, but I say it may work. You know, you know, if you did this, this, and this, you might be able to make it work. But you know, the best bet is to, well, prime example. I have some person here right now that people send us. I'm not guaranteeing them that's going to do what they want it to do. Mm. But what I do instead is ship me the part. We dry blasted. We do a video of the part being dry blasted, and then send it back to them, then they can determine whether or not they want to buy or not buy, basically. Is it going to work what they want? Um, I had a gentleman here locally that brought some equipment into me uh, last week, and it did the job. It just wasn't as efficient as what their current process was. So he politely said, you know, I appreciate you trying, but, you know, I just don't think it's going to work for us, which that's perfectly fine. Like I said, we realize that there's different hammers in the toolbox. And for his application, bead blasting was the best option to be most efficient. Dry splicing was not. So therefore, you know, he's. I gave him, he left here happy with the fact I was doing a demonstration for him, and there's no ill will whatsoever. And if he knows of anybody down the road who thinks, he thinks that dry splicing may work for, then he'll send him our way. Fascinating. I mean, it, it really is amazing because <laughs> you, Brett, go against the grain of current standards. You know, go ahead, do it. And if it doesn't work well, it's because you didn't do it well enough. Next machine, you know. Congratulations, mm -hmm. you. You know, it, it's and again, and I, we just got something off the hotline. Let us be clear that you don't do this at your shop. I mean, people don't bring in car bodies and whatever, and you no. do it there. You purchase a machine. To be clear, what Brett did was. He wanted to do a POC for somebody, a proof of concept that says, look, yes, this would be the perfect thing for you. Let's do a little four inch by four inch, and I'll show you how that goes. Um, and if it worked out dandy, the guy signed on the line. If he didn't, you know, let me keep you in mind. Thank you for your card. Genius move. Honest to God, Brett, you would think that would be the thing that normal human beings would do all at all time. You know, I applaud you. you obviously, you're a good Michigan guy. You know? <laughs> now, talking about that, we totally forgot about the machines. Machines themselves, are there are three different sizes that we saw, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, yeah, we actually had two of the machines at the show. We carry um, our Commando 55, our Commando 75, our Commando 40, Commando 40 Pro, our Commando XP, as well as an aftercooler. Um, so, and I could get in the aftercooler if you want me to, but the aftercooler, sure. what a lot of times... Well, you find a lot of times in, say, for motor remediation or the rental industry, they use a portable compressor, such as an Ingersoll Rand 185, or one of these compressors that puts out a lot of hot, moist, dirty air. What an aftercooler does is it takes the air off the compressor, runs it through a heat exchanger, which is on the aftercooler, and also cools it, which basically it's heat exchanger is a big radiator is what it is. Um, but by doing so, we bring it in, run it through, cool it down to within 15 degrees of ambient temperature where it may have left the compressor at, say, 150, 100, 200 degrees worth of air temp, wow. which holds a lot of moist air. Yeah. So, therefore, it comes into the machine, cools down the air to within 15 degrees of the air temp, pulls the moisture out to the water server, pulls the oil out through a coalescing filter, brings the air back out to the dry ice blaster. At that point, you have cool, clean, dry air going into your dry ice blaster because... If you think about it, 
If you're throwing a lot of hot, moist air, dry ice is negative 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the solid state. Wow. So when you put moist air at it, it automatically starts drawing in atmosphere to it. It starts degrading upon the time it's made. So by putting all this moist air into it, it starts creating what's called wet ice because all the moisture is forming on the dry ice. You throw a lot of water in the system, and all of our machines also have a water separator on them as well to pull out any of that excess moisture. When you start throwing all that water in against this dry ice that's blasting, it starts freezing things up. So therefore, we always say you have to have cool, clean, dry air to do dry ice blasting. And it takes a fair amount of air volume, too, to be honest with you. Most of the time, we can get a good blast at, say, uh, 50 CFM if you're going to blast delicately down around 40 PSI. If you start getting the higher pressure rates, you need more cubic feet per minute worth of air supply in order to maintain that pressure. If you don't have the air supply behind it, you cannot maintain that high of a blast pressure. So the more aggressive blast you need, the more air pressure you need. The more delicate, the less air pressure, and therefore the less cubic feet per minute of air that is used. You know, I'm trying to think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but is the XP the uh, smaller of the machines? Yes, that is actually what we consider our extreme precision, therefore the name XP. That is what, um, it has a 10-pound hopper on it, and it uses a half-inch air supply as well as a half-inch blast dose. Now, that's a little bit smaller unit, and that's what we use for very precision things, um, such as detailing cars. Because you can turn that right down and get it down to, say, um, I think our lowest setting on that is about three, por- three quarters of a pound of ice per minute rate, and we can turn that right down to, you know, 20 PSI if we wanted to. Um, and that's that's our precision machine that's used for, say, complex geometries, finite detailing. Now, we do have a heavy-duty packet for that that you can actually use the full pellet ice because on the XP normally we use a fragmented ice, which we have a tool that goes on the front of it that takes that 3-millimeter pellet rice ice, breaks up into smaller fragments, and then shoots it through the gun itself. But if we want to upgrade it and make it a more aggressive machine, we have full capability to do that because we can go all the way up to six pounds per minute worth of ice flow, like some of our bigger machines, and also increase the pressure up to 125 PSI without a problem and use larger nozzles. Therefore, then we can use the pellet ice and be more aggressive with it. Wow. Okay, so then who would buy, who would be your guy that you would sell your biggest machine to? Uh, the biggest machine um, would be, as far as capacity goes, our Commando 75. And that is identical to our Commando 40 Pro. The only difference being the fact that Commando 75 holds 75 pounds of ice compared to the 40 Pro, which holds 40 pounds of ice. Those are all pneumatic machines. Our most popular machine from the larger capacity range is our Commando 55, which is a hybrid. And by hybrid, I mean the fact that the motor itself as well as the vibrator for the ice hopper to shake the ice down into the feed system, those are both electrically controlled. So therefore, you don't have any bleed off from your air supply. That you, that you have to use to run a pneumatic motor or a pneumatic vibrator. So therefore, the 55 is our industry standard when it comes to the large industrial size. Um, you have no fluctuations in air pressure that way when it comes to the feedability of your ice. Now, if I remember correctly, didn't you say that sometimes, especially with the big machines, that people would rent uh, air compressors? Yes, yes. Um, there are various rental houses such as uh, Sunbelt and Herc Rentals around the U.S. here who have um, our, I guess, about five-year-old now, uh, Commando APs, which is a precursor to the Commando 40 Pros, and they will rent out the aftercooler 
the machine as well as if you need a compressor, they'll run the compressor with it as well. And generally speaking, they'll set put a package together for you for say a week rental of it. Wow, uh, something off the off the CK uh, hotline right here is, and again I'll paraphrase, is for your most complicated machine. Okay, so what they're asking for is your biggest machine that you have. If you were um, Bob Smith off the street and you got hired in to use one of your machines, how long would it take somebody to to figure it out and to be able to run it? Or does it take a lot of guys to run these things? Five minutes. Five minutes? Uh, our machines are... We There's a lot of machines out there, and ultimately, let's put... I shouldn't say a lot of machines. There are a lot of uh, few manufacturers here in the United States of the machines. But the difference being is that we all achieve an end result. It's just a matter of how we get there. Um, it's kind of like, you know, whether you have grandma going to the grocery store in her station wagon <laughs> or whether you've got John Smith going his Ferrari, you're still getting to the same end place. Yeah. Um, but what we've done is we like to follow the KISS principle, you know, the keep it stupid um, principle or keep it simple, simple stupid yeah. principle. Um, so ours are the lowest cost of ownership on the market. You can literally, I can take my machine if I needed to take the entire ice hopper assembly out, work on it, replace a feed wheel or something internally and have it back together in under an hour. Whereas some manufacturers, they've got a lot of other bells and whistles to them that gets more complicated, um, circuitry, circuit boards, everything else. Um, ours for the mi minus are Commando 55 and XP, which are hybrids, which do have electronics to them to a certain extent. Um, ours are all mechanical operated. So I don't have <clears throat> LCD computer screens and all this stuff. I just have adjustable dials on the front of the machine to crank my pressure up, crank my pellet feed rate up, and that's it. Wow, because I, I know what they were going at here. How complicated if we had a hire, and that was the second part of it, if, if they had to have a new hire to buy one of your machines and be able to run it uh, for detail work. You know, mm -hmm. would this guy have to sit down with you for a week or have a manual to read or there's tens of videos to go through? But you said five minutes. Yeah, we, we have basic operating videos, um, basic user manuals available that really all it is, you add an air supply to it, you hook your hose up in the right spot, you have your air supply coming in, your blast hose going out, and <clears throat> you just adjust your pressure setting. Now, for them to become proficient at getting a good quality blast, and not damaging things, <laughs> and actually doing, you know, be become helpful. fully, <laughs> fully efficient at using the machine. That's a different story. But to actually operate the machine, if you're just going to go in and just rip apart something and clean it, yeah, I mean, it'll take you five minutes. All you got to do is hook up a couple of connections, put your ice in, turn on the air supply, pull the trigger, and you're shooting ice. It's that simple. Wow. All right. So this whole entire line that you have, you have from the XP line to the the big commando. I mean, who named these machines? Um, it has to do with the fact that uh, we're New Ice and we're a veteran-owned company. Yeah. So we, we kind of took on the, uh, tied into the veteran-owned company theme. I kind of thought that's where that was going to. <laughs> and, and our original tagline was um, the power of an army in one machine. It's fascinating. It really is. I mean, if you ever get a chance... I mean, the videos are good, but if, if you ever really get a chance to see one of these things in action, it's insane.
because you think, why hasn't, I mean, obviously, as Brett said, the, there's a few machines around. This isn't, you know, brand, 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 new stealth technology, but it just makes so much sense, and especially in the sizes that you have, Brett, to offer. Uh, we were just, we were fascinated. We're absolutely positively uh, fascinated with what you guys had over there. So now, if somebody needed to get a hold of you and they said, you know what, Brett, this sounds wonderful. A, will you do a POC for me also? B, how backed up are you? Uh, C, how do we get one of these machines? Will you, I mean, because they're not something that you're going to put in the trunk of an 89 Omni, you know. Right. So um, how do they get these things? And can you get them in Sweden? Um, currently, we, we're working on setting up international distribution, to be honest with you, because that's one area where we want to make sure we have the proper support overseas as needed. People that can actually repair the machines as necessary and things along those lines. So as of, this, as of right now, we are currently have been selling mainly to the North American market where we have support. Um, we're working on setting up distribution for those other areas overseas in Sweden. Mm -hmm. If somebody's looking to contact us, to either get a quota machine or just learn more, um, they can visit our website at uh, neweiceblasting.com. That's N-U, uh, iceblasting.com, it's not N-E-W. Um, and they can actually go on there and research all of our machines, uh, get specification sheets, take a look at them. There's some videos on there as well. And there's also a sales request, so they can actually uh, ask for a quote or contact us directly and send an email, and I'll get the email directly to my email personally. Um, or somebody else here in my team will and direct it to me, and we'll answer it that way. Yeah, it's pretty unique that you have your cell phone, and normally cell phones go directly to voicemail, and I notice yours don't. Congratulations. Because <laughs> <laughs> normally that's, again, that's a business principle that's not necessarily practiced in 2022. So, good Lord, young man, there you go. I hope you did a nice job in 52 minutes. <laughs> I covered. I think I covered pretty much everything I needed to. Um, you know, I hope I was able to answer everybody's questions they may have, or at least open people's eyes to what exactly the technology can do, because it is becoming very quickly more and more prominent here in the United States. I'm I'm really shocked at just in the last two years how quickly this has started to take off. Because they've been doing it in Europe for a few years now, but it's never really taken hold. Now it's finally make, becoming more and more mainstream as people find more applications here in the United States. Yeah, well, you want to be shocked more often, don't you? <laughs> Ching. <laughs> right. Now, Evan, it was our pleasure. Brett, stay on the line for just a moment, won't you please? Absolutely. So we want to thank Brett Cooper for being with the new ice dry blasting. I mean, they're down in Jackson, Michigan. If he's a Michigan guy, you know he's a quality dude. <laughs> Talk about which, it's Leonard Skinner here in the home of high performance hits of the 60s and 70s. CKIW <laughs> Radio 76.